Justin Haley driving the number 31 College Racing Chevrolet in the NASCAR Cup Series. Hey guys, this is Sheldon Creed, driver of the number two wheel in Chevrolet for RCR Race. Hey everybody, this is Adam Alexander from NASCAR on Fox. This is Sam Mayer. You're listening to the You're listening to the Front Stretch Podcast with Brian. Brian Nova. Beautiful people, this is the week of April the 26th, 2023, and am I the only one that liked the race at Talladega? What is going on, my friends? Boy, oh boy, do we have a spicy show for you on this edition. One big goofball that I absolutely adore, Mr. Big Haas, Jared Haas. Last week, we teased whether or not he would survive Talladega. I am proud to admit he did. All of his toes and fingers are intact. He may have seen and saw some things that he will never see again um, that he probably didn't want to see, but that is okay. That's what therapy is for. But I digress. Midway. Hey, Davey. (laughs) Shut up. Midway through the program, we have an absolute special guest that will just absolutely make you go, Kyle Petty. That is incredible. Rusty. Wallace. Yes, folks, NASCAR Hall of Famer, one of the most top 75 drivers, just got off the phone with our Michael Mass. We're going to play that interview in its entirety in the middle. Last but not least, we're going to be diving into the concrete Miles the Monster, a.k.a. Dover International Speedway, as it is called now. So without further ado, we got so much, so much to dive into and a little time to do so. So, Trey, let's wave the screen flag. Let's go racing, boys! Green flag is out. Green flag is out. The man that saw some things that he probably enjoyed and then saw some things that was probably horrified um, from Mr. Jared Haas at the real Jared Haas on the Twitter. Big Haas, um, are you in need of front stretch to cover your therapy or um, are you okay and uh, is your brain all in one piece? I actually did not get to make it over to the boulevard, sadly. Oh, I've been busy. I, I was covering stuff for front stretch. Jared! Your oh, boy my. is working. You work Jared. hard. I know you work hard. You play hard. You got to work hard first. Oh, Jared. I Oh, buddy. That, I that makes me sad, but I'm proud that you. we don't have to pay for your therapy. Um, BetterHelp, BetterHelp.com, please sponsor this program. Um, anyway, that was that was a little free free advertisement there. Um, I digress. So, what you did see was um, some absolutely crazy chaotic racing Saturday, and then a little bit of crazy chaotic racing on Sunday, in which we saw a last lap wreck, and Kyle Busch did the broop, and he just squirted his way into the middle and basically stole a win. Yes, Jared. He stole it, a.k.a. from last year in which he was criticizing Alex Bowman. He steals one himself. Were you surprised by Kyle Busch returning to victory lane, this time at a super speedway race? If it was 15 years ago, probably. But this is a much more mature, much more patient Kyle Busch. And he let Ryan Blaney and Bubba Wallace do what they did is wreck on the final lap. And he was just in position there to take advantage of it. So... It is all about patience with this next-gen racing car. I sat there. um, I was telling Daniel McFadden, one of our reporters, sadly we didn't get to report 
record our podcast with the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, but he was a Denny Downer in this situation. I, I, I don't, I don't hate the racing. I didn't like the racing. Uh, it felt like 38 semis were on the track at one moment because there wasn't a lot of, you know, momentum you could build in. The only way you could get a third lane building was if you had 10 plus cars. So maybe if we put 50 of them out there, we could have started seeing consistent third line racing. But it's just the reality of the next gen car. It's tough to pass. And and here, here's the deal. And I, I'm going to leave my thoughts on how the racing is. You kind of got it in a little tease for the, the uh, final thought segment. But if, if we didn't have a fuel mileage saving race, I think it would have been a lot more different of a story um, in terms of if I liked it or not. But it just, it, it mind boggles me because time in and time again for the past few years, we've seen the third line work, Jared. And Denny Hamlin kind of said it best on his podcast last week that we're just going to see two by two by two. And that's what we saw. Why was the third lane not able to get going? Was it just because of, like you said, the package? Well, yes. I mean, you needed a lot more cars to make a momentum going. You needed about 10 cars, 10, eight or 10 cars on that outside lane to make it work. And uh, race car drivers are selfish on the track. And it's kind of hard to find eight to 10 friends out there to get you to the race lead. So they were more content just riding side by side. And, you know, it was just that chess game of seeing, hey, can I make this move? And inside line was basically suck. So it was just sit and wait. They were dozens of last. They were just riding around. I mean, that's how Noah Gregson was up there. He used pitch strategy to stay up front. And he was almost there to contend for the win, but got taken out late. But, yeah, I mean, this is what, what the package is now is, you're just going to sit around and wait. This ain't something where you're going to be coming from 18th to first, like Dale Earnhardt did back in 2000. I saw highlights of that while I was uh, eating some pizza out on the concourse there. And I'm like, you're not going to see this high on this race on a highlight reel. That's for sure. Unless it's the last lap rack. Jared, last lap, Bubba Wallace, Ryan Blaney, they get into it. Where, what did you see from your point of view? Was Bubba in the wrong, Ryan Blaney in the wrong, race and deal? Where'd you come out from it? Well, ironically, when I was there, I was uh, I was on the uh, track side of the Xfinity Garage trying to watch the uh, um, the big screen on that because I was down at the care center getting those interviews. I It's tough because at the end of the day, wins is what matters. And for Bubba Wallace, considering how close it is to get into and how much you need a win, he was going to do what it took, and whether it's blocking once, you know, you can block once, maybe you can block twice, you can't block three tw- times. So Bubba Wallace was trying to do what he's trying to do. Ryan Blaney was trying to take the runs that he had, and Kyle Busch just came out on top. So I don't blame what was going on with Bubba Wallace for his situation, and I kind of touched on it, just finished wrapping it up, NASCAR mailbox. But this overtime situation has created drivers for the sense of urgency that if you if you don't win, you're a loser, and it doesn't matter. I mean, Rick, Ricky Bobby kind of said it: if you're first, you're last. So if you ain't first, you're last. Yes, he, he kind kind of. But um, where I see it, I think the first block was okay. You don't do a second block because second block are going to get turned, and it's the last lap, and you should not have to lift when it's the last lap. I mean. Let's be honest. We're all racing for a win, like you said. If you lift 
during this, you're an idiot. And I don't blame Ryan Blaney at all. And Bubba Wallace, one block just too many. Exactly. It's just a, it's just a circumstance they're in. I don't want to call, say a victim of circumstance, but Bubba Wallace had to do what he had to, to win. Ryan Blaney had to do what he wanted to do to win. And both of those plans conflicted. <laughs> so you can't hate the player, you hate the game. Oh, boy, we're getting into some rap lyrics with, with DJ Jared Haas here. Mixing in the ones and two. <laughs> DJ Jared. In all honesty, Jared, you, you do look like a guy that you would be a bouncer, not a DJ. Um, but, but you, you know, that, that's okay. We still love you just the way you are. Um, people that probably don't love this man, a.k.a. the drivers, that will be Ross Chastain. You see the little segue I did right there, Jared? That <laughs> is how you do it, my friend. Uh, Ross Chastain gets into Noah Gregson. Was this just a racing deal? Was this, it was time to go and put up, time to nut up or shut up? He was there. I'm going to spin him. I don't care the consequences. Where'd you see from this wreck? I think it's more of what the situation is of like, this is go time. And if I'm going to take a hole, I'm going to take a hole. And Noah Gregson, I was there when he wrecked in this post-race interview. And he didn't seem like that was such a big deal that, you know, Ross Chastain was there and he got wrecked. It was just Ross Chastain took a hole. Noah Gregson didn't, you know, protect as much as he should have. And and then today the, the 42 cars coming back in the garage on the wrecker. So it's more the victim for circumstances of why Ross Chastain, he did what he had to do to win. And I mean, ironically, what he did last year was what Kyle Busch did last year. He True. sat around, did nothing. But you know, you're not going to win a race from fourth place. I even asked Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Um, during his presser, and I was like, Ricky, even though you like I said, you uh, came from third place to kind of get that momentum to come back to the lead during those final restarts of the Daytona 500. Do you still want to be in the lead, or do you want to come with that momentum coming from that backpack? And he's like, I want to be leading this thing no matter what. So the lead was the most important thing. It's ironic. You know, other weekend, Martinsville, the lead was super important. You saw that with Ryan Priest. But we went to the biggest track. The lead was the biggest important thing here. So it seems like across the board, this next-gen uh, package and car, really hard to pass, whether it's a really big track or a really small track. Jared, any final thoughts from this upcoming weekend at Talladega? Uh, I am thankful Blaine Perkins was uh, checking Amen. release from that uh, hospital. And it surprised me that I didn't realize – because the cameras were on Dexter Stacey in the inside wall, how hard he flipped on the back straightaway, kind of similar to like Matt Kenseth, you know, about 10 years ago. Um, so thankful for Blaine Perkins and Daniel Hemrick being able to, like I said, you know, <laughs> be alive after the situation. But I mean, we even saw some hard hits with, uh, with Kyle Larson and Ryan Priest. Ryan Priest said it was P1 on hits. So, it's a balancing act of Talladega and Daytona with the super speedway races of having the entertainment and speed while having safety as well. Jared, stay right there. When we come back, we're going to be playing our, well, Michael's interview with NASCAR Hall of Famer, the 1984 NASCAR Cup Series Rookie of the Year and the 1989 NASCAR Winston Cup Champion, Mr. Rusty Wallace. All right, ladies and gentlemen, at this time, it is my pleasure to introduce NASCAR Hall of Famer, 1989 champion, and current MRN 
broadcaster Rusty Wallace. How you doing, Rusty? Man, I'm doing good. I'm having a good time right now. I'm uh, on a little bit of vacation with my family down here in Mexico, and and I uh, heard about your your what's, what you got going on, and I wanted to be on your show, man. So uh, thank you. Yeah, it is, it is an honor to have you. I I don't know how many Hall of Famers uh, we've we've had on before, so uh, that that's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you're you're uh, doing something pretty big this week. You're you know climbing back into the the TV broadcast booth. You've been doing radio for for several years now. Uh, so how how did it come about come about for you to uh, for Fox to get you for this weekend? Did, did it take much I to just... persuade you? No, not really. I mean, I got a phone call last year to do a couple of races, and unfortunately, the two races that they wanted me to do, I was absolutely booked. I had to do something else with the family and my car dealership business, and I just couldn't do it. And then I got, I said, well, they're never going to call me again because I couldn't <laughs> do it. But this, So then I got a phone call again. I said, well, I can't screw this one up. So I said, yeah, I can do it. So uh I'll be doing the Dover race, and uh, I'm excited about it because I haven't been back in the booth. And man, I used to be in the booth a lot with ESPN, but it's been almost ten years now. So I'm excited to get back and see what's what's changed and everything. I told the guys, man, I'm going to have to knock a little rust off me, you know, to get tuned back up. And they said, oh man, it's just like riding a bike, you'll be fine. I said, all right, that's cool. But you know, it's you know, I'm there all the time anyway right now doing radio with the right. guys from Motor Racing Network, with Alex Hayden and Jeff Striegel and uh, Ryan Horn, our producers, and Dave Moody and, you know, and Mike Bagley. And these guys are just absolute experts at what they do. And so, um, yeah, I think it's going to be okay. You know, I think we'll be fine. It's just a little bit different. You know, in radio, you're calling the action. I mean, what you're seeing out the window. Television, you're doing a little bit of that, but a lot of what you're seeing on the screen, because that's what the viewer is seeing. But uh, I'm, I'm excited to get back and meet some of the guys. I hear there's a lot of people there that I used to work with at ESPN that are working with Fox now. So I get to oh. see those guys when I get to Dover and re reunite some of these friendships. Yeah, that, that, that's awesome for sure. Bring some of that uh, that radio style to the to the TV broadcast this week. That'd be, that'd be pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> you know what? That's a good point, what you just said, because I'm going to have to be real careful about that because... Oh, I'm pretty good at jumping, looking out the window and just jumping off and, and, and calling as I see it. I got to remember that, you know, I got to call up what I see in the on the screen, you know, on, on the monitor because that's what the the, cust the consumer right. or the race fans seeing at home, you know. Yeah, but yeah. But all no matter what, it, it's it's it'd be cool getting back doing some of that stuff, and so hopefully I have a good deal. So it's just a one race stint. So yeah. uh, we'll see how it turns out. How how do you go about preparing uh, for this weekend? Is there anything different than you would do for the MRN broadcast? Obviously, you mentioned what you got to do, like looking at the monitor instead of the track. Was there anything about you know, preparation-wise that's different? Well, I mean, there, there's going to be more preparation. I'm already doing a little preparation personally, you know, about what's going on. Because, but but in MRN, we're basically we're we're actually calling what we see happening right now at the racetrack. We're not telling advanced stories are doing human interest stuff you know yeah our pre-race shows you know but i will be doing that uh, some pre-race stuff on uh I'll, I'll be calling qualifying and practice on saturday and that right there is going to help a lot because that's going to help me you know like i said knock some of the rust off and kind of get the rhythm going and so then when the big show happens on sunday We'll put down on pit road and start doing some human interest stories and some of the, the hot stuff going on, some of the 
stories. Um, but that is not what we do on MRN. MRN is we just basically call what's happening right then, you know, yeah. as the race gets going. So uh, not as much preparation when it comes to background stuff because you don't have time to even mention that <laughs> when you're doing radio. That's so uh, the, the television is going to give me a little more time to calm down, speak a little slower, uh, be a little more focused, uh, be a little more conversational. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll talk about uh, some of the past races and uh, bring the viewers into what's what's going on. And, and I, th- I got the unique ability to maybe tell them the, what, what it was like before and what it's like now. And so I think that'd be cool. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it, now, it's been nine years, as you mentioned, since you did TV. It's crazy it's been that long. Uh, but is there anything you miss about it? Anything you don't miss about it? No, man, I'll tell you, I was just blessed to be able to do it. You know, I mean, to be able to do, you know, the career I had in NASCAR, won a championship. But God, they put me in seven different Hall of Fames now. It's, <laughs> that is just a really cool deal. And the NASCAR Hall of Fame, obviously, the, the biggest deal in my life, you know, when it comes to racing. And um, and so I've, I've just I've been real blessed with all that stuff. But when I got to do television back with ESPN days, it was a neat deal. You know, I ran through the whole entire contract. You know, it was a 10-year contract. We did all 10 years. And and I was able to, you know, be in a broadcast booth. I was able to do the pre-race shows. I was able to do all the stuff that ESPN offered. I did Sports Center. I did everything back in its heyday, back when yeah. they were really cranking in NASCAR, you know. But, you know, for me to be able to come back with Fox now, which I really love that crew of people, you know, I loved it. Then, uh, when they first started, and I love it now. I love their um, their aggressive style. Their, you know, they just call it as they see it. They're just a bunch of cool dudes. Let's put it that way, okay? Yeah. And uh, they're real racers. All the Fox group is a bunch of real racers. Not saying the NBC guys aren't. They are, you know. But you know, I know a lot of the people with Fox, and it feels comfortable. It was nice getting a phone call from Jeff Gordon the other day. He said, "Man, it's." I'm so excited to see you in the booth with the, with those guys. And Boyer's always been a buddy of mine. He's like, and him and I ride motorcycles a ton. You know, we were really big into Harleys. My son, Stephen, and him and myself, we're going to do a big rally going into Wilkesboro this year for the, oh. you know, for the All-Star Race. We're going to do a big charity thing. It's going to start off Sunday morning. We're going to bring two or 300 riders into Wilkesboro. So Boyer and myself and Stephen will be leading that. Oh, wow. And, uh, so I got you know I got a lot of relationships over there in the Fox side, what? and uh, so it's 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 going to be a I don't think it's going to be as tough as I'm planning. I, I'm the type of guy that always wants to plan to get everything perfect, you know, yeah. and know exactly what I'm doing. I'm talking about how do I get to the track? What am I going to do when I get to the track? Where where am I staying at? What am I doing? All the damn detail stuff, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I started all that off again today, just making sure that I don't look like a damn idiot when I get there, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know the feeling. Uh, yeah, I look. I look for you at Wilkesboro. I, I should be down there for that one too. Uh, but yeah, so NASCAR has been releasing the seventy-five greatest drivers list. Now, naturally, you're already on it because you were on the, the last one. Uh, so, what did what did it mean to you uh, to be part of that list back in nineteen ninety-eight? And your career wasn't even over with at that point. So, what, what? It was an incredible. You know, to be on that first list of the top 50 greatest drivers in NASCAR was a huge deal for me because the late Bill French Jr. was very, very involved in all that. I'll never forget at Daytona Beach when we announced that at a huge gala that uh, Bill France put on. 
in uh, right there by the at the speedway, uh, mm-hmm. proper uh, the speedway area. And my guy to be, and they say, hey, you're one of the 50 top greatest drivers in the United States, you know, in NASCAR. And I said, well, oh my God, amazing, you know, to be with all these different people. And so that happened. And so now to see all the rest of the gang make it in, you know, it was so cool to see Greg Biffle, who's, who's a good buddy of mine, make it in as a top, you know, in the top yeah. 75. And the list goes on and on and on and on, you know. But so the top 50 were locked in. So basically, he came in and they basically voted another 25 in. To, to make it an even 75 and uh that, that was a cool deal yeah for sure now i was wondering uh you know the the guys they've been adding pretty much from the most recent 25 years of nascar but i was wondering is there anyone from your time racing that maybe didn't make that initial list that you would think should be on it man i gotta tell you i'd be lying if i told you who exactly made that last <laughs> 25 yeah i'm gonna tell you why i i'm I fortunately, I've been on vacation. <laughs> man, I've been out of the United States. I've been on vacation. I don't know who the hell all the top 25 are. Yeah. But I've been seeing a lot of stories about some of them. I saw, like I mentioned, my buddy Greg Biffle. Him and I and Tony Stewart and the guys, we play out in the sand dunes in Glamis, California, in these high horsepower cars. And we had this great buddy of ours named Ron Pratt. And Ron's a really cool dude. He bought a lot of cars out of Barrett Jackson and stuff. And he invited me and he invited uh, uh, Tony and he invited uh, Jeff Gordon. He invited uh, uh, my yeah. greatest friend in the world, uh, Don the Snake Perdome, the big drag racer. Oh, okay. uh, all of us to this big event. We've been doing it for like six or eight years now. And so the day I was kind of uh, on the damn internet looking and I saw Greg made it. In, in, <laughs> a typical Greg, he's out in the middle of the intercoastal waterway on some big old boat going down the road. <laughs> going down the intercoastal waterway and say, yeah, man, I'm Greg Biffle. I'm so glad to be one of the top 75 greatest drivers. And I said, well, very, very deserving because he's hell of a driver. Oh, and yeah. I watch him out in the sand dunes and watch all these guys on the dirt tracks. Another guy, another guy that really, you know, I love watching who went with us was Bobby Labonte. Man, we okay. had a hell of a time with him. He was fun to watch. Yeah, all, all deserving guys on that list for sure. Uh, now, last year, I, I bring that up because last year, you were asked about uh, Ricky Rudd and Harry Gant for not for the seventy-five list, but for the Hall of Fame, and you got a little fired up uh, talking about them. I, I'm, uh, I'm still fired up. I'm pissed off that you know these two guys aren't in it right now, and so we're gonna have a conversation, you know, here pretty shortly about next year's Hall of Famers. And I'm telling you what, if if Ricky Rudd and Harry Gant don't make it, I'll be a one mad dude because <laughs> these guys are so deserving, and it's so stupid that. They're having been in it before they are right now. And that's just my opinion. And, you know, it's okay. I can have an opinion. So, uh, you know, I hope they make it. I really do. And I, I'm going to be voting like hell for them. Oh, yeah. And I, I agree. I agree. They should be in. Uh, another guy who's going to be in the Hall of Fame, uh, you know, after he retires, Kevin Harvick. He's, he's you know, hanging it up in, at the end of this year. Uh, he's another driver. It seems like the drivers are retiring earlier and earlier. I mean, he's late 40s, but there's been a lot in their early 40s. But he's still, like, top of his game. I'm just wondering, as a guy that you've come out and said in the past that you thought you hung it up too soon, is there any advice you would say to to a guy like Harvick who's, you know, still really good, still driving? I mean, 
Do you think he's retiring too soon? Is he doing it at the perfect time? What do you, What are your thoughts on it? I know, you know what, knowing Kevin and, and, and knowing what he's accomplished, I really think, honestly, I agree with Kevin. I think he's doing it at the perfect time. I, You know, I quit doing it when I was 49 years old. I did it because I was just tired of being on the road so much, living in hotels and motor homes and never seeing my family, always on the road. 36 races, points paying races, and another two special races, the all-star race at Charlotte back yeah. then, and then the um, the butt shootout that that brought it up to 38 weekends out of 52. I'm like, come on, man, give me a break. That's a lot, you know. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm 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 done. I'm just burned down. And you know, and people say, oh, you can still do it. I, well, I know I can still do it, okay, but I'm tired, man. And so Harvick, he's got his son coming up right now racing, and the kid is a he's a really good little racer, and Kevin's a solid guy, knows all about the cars. He owned his own truck team. He owned his own Xfinity team. He's a chassis designer, in my opinion. He know, really knows what he's doing. He's won everything in the planet. And yeah. so, you know, I, I totally agree with him. I think it's time. Enjoy your family, man. As long as you got enough money saved up and you, you don't know the right financial things, enjoy your family. Have a great time, you know. We all love NASCAR. We're always going to support NASCAR. And I'm on the NASCAR uh, Foundation Board of Directors because I just want to be in this sport and get back to it. I love it. I just, it made me what I am. Mm. And I think that's one of the things I'm a little bit excited about, getting back in the TV booth, kind of get back in there and see all the fans and hear all the comments and all that stuff, you know. But, you know, I don't, I don't ever see myself getting out of this sport totally, you know. It, just because you don't drive any longer doesn't mean you're not involved in the sport. And so, uh, you know, I got out of the driving part, but I'm still involved in many other ways. All right. Yeah, that, that's fair for sure. Uh, and you and Harvick both have a lot of interests, a lot of things going on outside of NASCAR, uh, as you mentioned. And I, I'll send you out on this one. You know, besides doing the radio broadcast and besides being on vacation, it sounds like, what, what else you got going on these days? Man, the biggest thing I got going on is one of the most fun things I've ever done. My son and I started a, a super high-performance motorcycle company called Southern Country Customs. And we build super high-end uh, Harley-Davidson baggers. They're just works of art. They're absolutely beautiful. We've been going to a lot of big motorcycle rallies. The Sturgis Motorcycle Rally that our, my good friend Mike Helton, uh, the chair, uh, vice chairman of NASCAR, mm -hmm. started taking us on. He took me and a lot of the drivers. And, and so he started this whole thing for me to get me so excited about this stuff. But And Stephen got excited. But right now, we've been going to a lot of rallies. We're, we're the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally. And actually, we're doing this. We're doing a big a deal up in the Cashier's Mountain with uh, a fellow by the name of Jimmy Adams, who owns Featherlight Motor Coach Company. We're going to be up there with a lot of customers. Then we'll be going out to Maine, Kenny Bunkport, Maine. Uh, okay. For the hundredth anniversary of Laconia Bike Week, oh, wow. uh, we'll be out there doing that with my gr great friend uh, Bentley Warren. We're going to be setting oh. up his place. We'll be at Bentley Warren. We'll be at Sturgis. We're going to be at uh, Rogers, Arkansas, for the big rally there. So I'm getting to I, I'm, I'm I'm being able to see so many cool NASCAR fans in a different way. They are that are huge motorcycle people, and I'm a huge motorcycle person, and. We're safe, man. We ride these bikes safe, but we're building just beautiful pieces with big horsepower and super hot quality bikes. So if you get a chance, go to southerncountrycustoms.com or go to our Instagram page and look at our newest bikes. In fact, I just rolled my brand new one off the showroom floor 
uh, two days ago. Uh, I had two more things to do on it before I went on vacation. The boys finished it up for me, sent me all the pictures of the bike. It just rolled out. It's just unreal, man. It's bad their bones, so check it out. Ah, yeah, check it out, people. Uh, man, Bentley Warren, he, what is, he's got to be like, what, is he in his 80s, 90s? He's still riding yeah, the bike? Bentley's close, Bentley's close to that. I saw Bentley at Bear Jackson. And Bentley, he, he, he puts on one of the biggest motorcycle rallies in the planet. It's always around Laconia Bike Week and, and a lot of other things, too. But this week, this year is the big one, man. It's the 100th anniversary of Laconia Motorcycle Week. And so we're going to have our whole operation set up at Bentley's place up in, uh, in Maine at his deal. And uh, that's actually the next one we're focusing on. That's the next one we're getting ready to do. That's going to be June. I think it's June the the, the sixth. We'll be out there. Yeah, that that sounds awesome. Sounds like so much fun. So you got the whole like Wallace biker gang kind of going on now, riding up and down the road. <laughs> All that's going on good. All the car dealerships up yeah. in East Tennessee are doing fantastic. We got a great team of people. We're up to nine dealerships now. You know, really, we're talking thirty uh, some years ago when I won my first race at Bristol, Tennessee. That's what started my involvement in the car dealership business. Yeah, and uh, so here we are now. We're fast forward over thirty years. And we're up to nine stores right now, and they're all still kicking ass. And we're doing a lot of philanthropy work up there in Tennessee. We're doing a lot of cool things with the kids and in schools and different things. And I'm just real proud of what we're doing. And in fact, yeah. we got a gigantic ride happening August the 19th up in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Myself and, and the mayor up there are doing a big ride to raise money for uh, the Children's Hospital up in Knoxville, Tennessee. So I I do a lot of this type of stuff, which makes my heart feel good, you know? Yeah, how about that? I've been to that dealership uh, right off 81, Knoxville there area. Yeah, it's it's a nice dealership. We're up there. Yeah. Thank you. uh, Well, you guys heard he's still got, he's retired from driving, but still got a whole lot of stuff going on. And old Rusty Wallace never stops moving, huh? Uh, th- thanks so much for joining us Rusty and uh, hey good luck in the booth this weekend alright man thanks a lot appreciate it once again that was 1989 NASCAR Winston Cup champion 1984 NASCAR Cup Series Rookie of the Year MRN reporter as well as this week's guest analyst for the NASCAR on Fox. Big thanks to Fox Sports PR for coordinating that interview. Big thanks to uh, Michael Matz for letting us use it. Um, it it's kind of funny because, we, Jerry, we all have people growing up when we're kids that we that we root for. Mine was Dale Jarrett, and I got to experience interviewing Dale back in Bristol uh, back in August, and, and it was really cool. Michael grew up a Rusty Wallace fan, so he got to feel basically what I felt um, interviewing Dale Jarrett just a little bit ago. So awesome. I'm really, really happy for him one of my best buddies and i know that was a, a one of his bucket list items that's for sure one of my bucket list items to get a big old bear hug from big hoss over here big hoss we've talked for like two years and i've still have never met your goofball uh self in person but let's change that sooner rather than later unfortunately we're both not gonna be in dover at dover international speedway our own steven sump will be there but when you first think of dover jared what do you, what comes to mind self-cleaning <laughs> i wish i had a i wish my apartment was like dover where it's just self-cleaning like a roomba um the baking's pretty steep and you're basically in the corner quite a bit and it's a concrete track so i that's the big thing that comes to the mind is that steep track that self clean track so if there's any problems that 
basically gets on the back straightaway. Go high. Exactly. And for me, it, it like if you if you wreck at the very high side, no matter what, you're going to go down. You are going down, down, down. And uh, in the words of, of, of Johnny Cash, you're going to go into a ring of fire. That's for sure. Um, but when I think it over, I think high speeds, I think of concrete, and I think of nasty, nasty wrecks. But it feels like that over the past few years, from going from two days now just to one day every every May, uh, the racing has not been as good as as it has been in the past. Rain has often affected this, affected it in 2019, affected it last year. There's there's rain showers in the forecast this upcoming weekend. Um, what what can they do to fix this racing at Dover? <laughs> I feel like it's more of a it's going to be more of the car issue of what's going on, you know. Remember back in the day, Dover actually used to believe ran 500 mile races. Just imagine how tired oh, and how of a mechanical failures that happened at Dover. Such a grueling racetrack, and it's it's like a lost art of the grueling of pushing the limits of like, okay, can we do 500 miles? So it's it's one of those tracks that needs to be sold as this is a grueling track. This is like a roller coaster. You're going. Down, plan in, pour the corner, go back up, land off the corner, and then you're doing this for 400 laps. And that's just growing a body, and you're trying to race on top of this. True. And cars throwing you out there. So, I mean, this is definitely a tough track, and it needs to be sold as this is a grueling racetrack. Well, even though Darlington is a grueling racetrack that's coming up, this is a lot with the banking and how short it is and how steep it is. A couple more things here before we dive into the keys to the race as well as our picks. Jared, it came out this Wednesday morning. We cannot just get rid of this injury bug. We cannot, we cannot, we cannot. And it's getting more and more frustrating. Alex Bowman fractures his vertebrae in a sprint cart incident on tuesday night he is out three to four weeks josh berry is back in the hendrick motorsports car this time in the number 48 car um first off for william byron he i'm not for william byron for alex bowman he can't catch a break i mean has he i don't think he's had a full full year ever in the nascar cup series and then second off this creates this question again on if you should have limits because this was not in this was not just like a snowboarding accident this was racing a different type of car should there be restrictions now based on the second injury? And we're only in late April. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough break for Alex Bowman. Ironically, Daniel McFadden and I were about to interview him before, obviously they had to, we had to cancel on that. Oh, and really? Yes. I, we were going to be, really? we were set up to interview Alex Bowman and huh. Daniel canceled on his end. And obviously the, then the news came out that he, uh, injured his uh, vertebrae so i mean that's really tough because he won here in 2021 and hendrick obviously looks again to be the strong car here at dover so it's a tough break and for limiting on that again it's the risk assessment that you have to realize on this front of you know that's the conversation between owner and driver i'm not going to say that nascar needs to implement Okay, you need to have you don't need to race any other series. You don't need to do any dangerous sports. That's a conversation between the owner and driver. And Chase Elliott's had those obviously had those conversations with Rick Hendrick about snowboarding. He's not he wasn't like doing it for the first time. He was experienced for it, just made a mistake. 
again, with the same point of Alex Bowman, he's an experienced racer. He ain't no, like, you know, Saturday night champion all of a sudden just coming up here and just wrecking on itself. So I don't think there should be restrictions. It's just more between the owner and, uh, like I said, the driver. But I think these stipulations will become more apparent, um, these restrictions, when it comes to playoff season. Because, again, the points don't matter here. It's just if he gets back three to four weeks, gets a win, he should be fine. I mean, he's been running out front before the points penalty. He was the points leader. So he's been in contention, getting those points, getting those good runs. You know, in the hindsight, again, what are we looking at? The Chase Elliott incident, not really. It's not going to be really much too much a factor when we're looking back in November. But if this incident happens in like October and September, that, that's going to be a little bit more of an issue for drivers and owners to have that conversation to say, hey, guess what? I don't need you to go racing here. We need you to focus on the eye on the prize, which is the NASCAR Cup Series title. Jared, let's dive in to our keys to the race. For you, what do you see as the winning combination here in Dover? What does each driver have to do to try and get to victory landing and claim that pretty badass trophy of Miles the Monster? I feel like it's the same for every week. I didn't expect to say for Talladega last week, but it's track position, track position, execution. I think it's the end of the day. Well, yeah, track position, keep it up front, but execution, you saw it with Ryan Priest. If you're going to have a bad pit stop, it's going to be a hard day for you. So make sure that you're on top of things and, you know, it's going to be fine. Like I said, the, uh, it's, it's been a hodgepodge of winners coming from the, yeah, hodgepodge, new word of the day. (laughs) If you look at the past winners, Elliott started fourth, Bowman 16th, Harvick 17th, Hamlin 2nd, Larson 2nd, 13th, 9th, 2nd, 2nd, 14th. So front half of the field is going to be the place to be. Last time that someone won from the back, 20, 22nd with Tony Stewart in 2013. Look at you, Big Hoss, bringing the stats up in this joint. I have my board. (laughs) Jared, I'm giving you a damn compliment. Just take the compliment, soldier. God. Um, Anyway, no. Um, for, for me, it's it's getting on the right strategy because of what my next point is. It looks absolutely dreadful this weekend, Jared. 40% chance of rain on Friday, 70% chance of rain on Saturday, and then there's some forecasts that say an 80% chance of rain on Sunday and a 100% chance of rain on Sunday. So I would not be surprised to see this be a rain-shortened race, um, even a rain-postponed race to, to Monday. But even then, I'm looking at Monday now, and Monday is moderate rain with a 100% chance of rain as well. So, I mean, more likely than not, we could see a rain-shortened race. So, let's say it's lap 190 of 400. You're going into pit road. Caution comes out. Maybe take a two-tire. Maybe take a fuel. Hold off for 20 or so laps. And then rain comes. It starts monsoon rain. And you're done. And you win. And you steal a win. You still put effort. I think that's going to be a massive, massive, massive thing to watch for because of just the impending circumstances regarding a thing we know called weather and that's why i said execution in front of that is you know whether it's execution on pit road or execution with your strategy one thing to note with um the uh rain situation that's going on no rain tires no rain package this is an intermediate track so there's not going to be the track's going to be completely dry it's going to help that we have banking, that the water can trickle down, but we have to make sure the track is dry, and we're going to have slicks this weekend. No rain tires. 
It also does not help that the, the race doesn't start till like 2.30 p.m. Eastern. So, um, I mean, if it, even if it started like at noon Eastern, we still have at least two and a half hours of, of a cushion. But, you know, that's NASCAR's just... going to move it up by like 10 minutes and then they'll yeah, take Oh, oh I know. Like, we, we get those emails. <laughs> NASCAR's moved at the start of the race to 10 minutes. Okay, so <laughs> so 2.20 p.m. Eastern. That will make a whole hell of a lot of difference. Thank you. <laughs> that, uh, that gets it to that five extra laps past halfway. Honestly, right? I mean, uh, my, I just... It, it grinds my gears, Jared. Um, but let's dive into our race picks. Dark Horse is really not a big thing at Dover, so um, we won't do our Dark Horses, but we are going to do our race picks. Um, worth 400 at Dover, Mr. Jared Haas, who is going to be taking home that Miles the Monster trophy after 400 miles, 400 laps at Dover, Delaware. Reminder, stages are 120, 125, and then... 400 for the overall finish of the race. So, Mr. Big Hoss, 400 miles, 400 laps. Who's going and leaving Dover, hopefully, after 400 miles and 400 laps, a champion at Dover? If you asked me 24 hours ago, I would have said William Pye. I mean, excuse me, Alex Bowman, because I, you know, he's won there before too. And I think this is where he gets his hack win. But as we found out, Alex Bowman's not going to be racing this weekend. So, as my Freudian slip said, I'm going with William Byron. God damn it, Jared. <laughs> Did I that make you my, and, and Trey is going to be even more mad now because he's got to edit that part, too. Sorry, Trey. But <laughs> it ain't God. happy hour, boys. Uh, by the way, I got some gr- I got some gears to grind at for half hour. You know, we're going we're gonna to take a little de- detour. I'm going to do a little rant session. And I'm, I was listening to it. First off, first off, Mr. Michael Massey imitating me, not cool, my friend. Not cool. I do not sound like that. And second off, Dalton saying that it's so much more peaceful, not cool. That's just rude. Um, But other than that, very, very happy. So stay tuned for more episodes of The Front Stretch Happy Hours. Trey, it was not. He's our producer in this. It was not, (laughs) not, not calm. It was probably chaotic. It was more chaotic than it naturally is because i am an absolute angel our producer um, is not is like putting his heads in his face he's like bob Pockers when he saw the biggie commercial our producer trey probably wants to kill me on him probably seven to ten times when we when we record these podcasts that's why it's peaceful nolan uh, you know, I, that's He's why the facts. I'm sorry. You know, this is why Trey gets a very, very nice bonus at the end of the year because it takes a very special person to put up with me. Mike Bachman did a fantastic job, um, but he, even he couldn't contain and he, he went on to bigger and brighter pastures in Connecticut over at NBC. Um, Trey, you're not going to quit. I love you. Anyway, my pick for this was going to be William Byron, but since Big Hoss took it, um, I would have picked. Alex Bowman as well, but he's not, he's going to be probably laying in bed. Um, I'm not going to go with Kyle Larson, but I am going to go with the guy that won last year. It was on a Monday and he did recently come back. We all have seen the commercial 17 million times. Chase Elliott gets a job done, gets into the playoffs and gets his first dub of the season. Big Hoss. He's back. Did you hear that? Oh, uh, no, really over the 17 million text tweets commercials etc that we haven't seen anywhere else yeah i'm curious to see if alex bowman gets that you know if he what type i can of treatment almost he gets. guarantee almost guarantee he will not do that 
he may get like one and it would be like a little social media ad that's like promoted on Twitter saying Alex Bowman is back, but we won't get any of the commercials. We won't get any of the advertisements on NASCAR.com. Nothing. He may get like a sponsored post, but that's it. See, there you go. NASCAR social media team. Nolan's challenging you to Alex Bowman is Mm -hmm. back. You heard me, Zach Sterniolo. Tell your coworkers. Sterniolo, I'm calling you out. Tell your coworkers. Just kidding. I love you, Sturby. Um, Jared, this has gone off the rails, and Trey's going to kill me. So let's dive on over to the checkered flag. Trey, hit the music with some final thoughts. Checkered flag, here I come. Oh, no! Final thoughts are in the air. Final thoughts are in the air. Whatever you want to rant, rave, or anything in between, Mr. Big Hoss, the floor is yours. Man, uh, like I said, I I want to just like I said, emphasize the Talladega race and Super Speedway racing. I think this next gen car, we need the horsepower, baby. I mean, what was it that Christopher Bell said these engines were gutless? Oh, uh, it was either it was either him or Chase Elliott during a press conference at the testing. It was the Loose is Fast podcast asking that question. It was making rounds on social media, but in the reality of it is that's what speed is is there's a difference. That's how you're able to pass. There's a difference of speed. And, I mean, this is NASCAR's dream, NASCAR's utopia. All cars crossing the start-finish line at the exact same time. That's what you get with the same speed. That's what we saw at Talladega. That's what we saw at Martinsville. This is what, this is what they want. So, this is, like I said, they wanted 43 cars finishing the same lap at the same time. Are we just going to enjoy it, or are we going to make changes? So, I'll throw it over to you, Nolan, with your uh, grinding your gears or grinding your pepper shaker or whatever floats your boat. Uh, we, we have to talk about grinding a pepper shaker. I've never heard that before. Um, all, before we dive in, it, my, my wife, Izzy, had like a has a um, automatic pepper shaker where it's literally like uh, like a device and you just like you, it's like you just put your uh, hand underneath it and it like automatically goes. It's really, really cool. Uh, I'll, I'll send you, I'll send you a video of it once you use it. Anyway, uh, <laughs> my ADD is kicking and I'm so sorry. y'all. Um, um, anyway, uh, what was I going to go? Oh yes. Okay. When we go to Talladega, we all think of, oh, there's big wrecks and, and carnage and, and go into the line upside down all around flipping and everything and sure we saw that in the xfinity race and it was very scary i'm glad blaine perkins is all right glad daniel hemrick is all right but with the cup series we didn't see any of that we saw two by two racing and that was okay with me i'm okay with not having massive wrecks mainly because of the safety issue that is still there we still have seen very very damaging hits um and especially with this one that we saw this past weekend with ryan priest and kyle larson it was a very very damaging hit Thankfully, both of those are okay, and that was the only one. We saw Bubba Wallace have a nasty hit, and he was okay, but we don't need, like, upside-down flips every single uh, super speedway race. And so I was okay with this past weekend at Talladega. Obviously, I would have rather had a green uh, flag finish, sure. But the thing is, all the drivers were okay. Overall, it was a fun, clean race. Sure, the third lane, there could be some improvements, but everybody in life could could be improved in such a way. And for NASCAR, I think they're, they're going to be looking on it. They're going to be um, looking, seeing how we how they can improve this because they got until August. 
maybe they might make some type of weird package for the July Atlanta race, but they got until August for, for Daytona and whatever they do, I feel like they're going to try their very best to make it three wide racing. Because when we go to Talladega, we like to see two, three, four, even five wide. We want to use all... the track. This is a wide track. Let's use all of it. Shoot, just throw a wicker bill on there on the roof and just that, call it a day. That's the analysis I love from my, my man, Big Hoss. But the thing is, I, I think NASCAR is going to do some small steps. Um, I, I do think they're going to be proactive. You've seen me bash NASCAR a lot in this podcast. I'm giving them a little bit of praise. I think they're going to be okay, and I think they're going to be, and they're going to step up, and they're going to fix this before the summer Daytona race to finish the regular season. Big Hoss, you are the man i appreciate you what are you going to be cooking up on nascar mailbag or nascar mailbox i always always mess that up this is the second time you've been on since we've started this on nascar youtube on our front stretch a youtube channel and i've secondly i've messed it up again so can you a give me the correct title of it and then b give a little preview to our listeners NASCAR Mailbox, Mr. Brian Nolan. Uh, that is the series that I take over, asking, answering the questions that come from our YouTube channel. Like I said, we have a pretty active following over there, and we get quite a good good questions on that. And the topic this week was overtime, and I think it's it's time to rethink overtime. And like I said, it's live right now on YouTube.com backslash front stretch. Hear my thoughts on that, on some of the changes that should be done. Obviously, there's a lot more cooking, especially on the your side for the podcast as well. Video stuff, you know, always make sure and managing that. But we're going to make sure we have beautiful artwork for the Front Stretch Podcast and in the Front Stretch Podcast Network. A beautiful podcast for a beautiful human being, the real Jared Haas. You are an absolute joy of sunshine, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on the program. At I try the to real- bring that over. I try to bring some sunshine. I love it at Trey Lyle underscore V or tra- at Trey Lyle VT at the Brian on and at front stretch for Trey Lyle. He's going to kill me. I still love him. Thank you. Everything for you do Trey for Jared Haas. I am Brian on through the gears every Friday, front stretch happy hour coming out every Tuesday. This podcast Thursday afternoon. It's a new, new, new shout out. New. It's a new date and new time. Still the same fun stuff for Trey. Jared, I'm Big Hoss. Shout out all of you lovely listeners. I love you. I love you. I love you. We're out. I love you.